This episode of the Spout Podcast is sponsored by JustJared.com. For over 15 years, Just Jared has been the go-to source for up-to-the-minute updates on film, fashion, music, and so much more. Visit JustJared.com or join the conversation with Just Jared on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook. This is the Spout Podcast, where famous people spout off on more than what they're famous for. Here's DJ Automatic. DJ Automatic here with the Spout Podcast, and we have international superstar DJ with us. Today, he's won Grammys. He's the only DJ in the world that they can literally say is the has been called the best DJ in the world. We have Tiesto with us today. Hello. I'm happy to be here with you. I'm a big fan. I've been following your career for a long time, and I will say it's an honor to be here. I have a question for you to start off with. What does Tiesto mean? And where did you come up with Tiesto? Where did it come from? So it's really like a, something I made up. There was like a trend in the 90s that all the Dutch DJs, they wanted to sound Italian. So we all put like an O behind our name. The Marcello, Gizmo, Tiesto, you know, it's a, it, was, it was just a thing. So, <laughs> and then it stuck. <laughs> that actually leads me into another question. What was it like growing up in the Netherlands? Talk to me about that. I've, I've never been there. I've never been to Amsterdam. Yeah, so what, what was that like growing up there? Um, it was really incredible, you know, I had a really great uh, growing up there and the Netherlands was one of the first countries in the world that, that embraced dance music so well, you know, we were right away accepted on, on radio, on, on TV even, like uh, doing shows on, and, you know, every day at midnight until, until eight in the morning, there was a live broadcast from clubs, you know, where DJs played and uh, we had like D- DJ dance shows. Perfect for uh, me loving and DJing to grow up in Holland, yeah, for sure. <laughs> so what made you want to DJ then? What got you into DJing? Well, just just uh, the joy I get out of playing music for other people. Uh, to me, it's like, you know, it's like say, making somebody a dinner and they really appreciate it. Uh, for me, it's like with music. I play a song and you see the surprise on people's faces or, or like, wow, this is so awesome, you know. That's how I started off, you know, as a birthday, wedding DJ, yeah, high school DJ, so... <laughs> I'm very curious about this. I want to DJ nerd out on you a little bit. What was your first DJ setup? What did you have? Like, what were you playing on when you first started out? Um, well, I just had a tape recorder and I had one uh, one uh, record player without pitch control. So I could not uh, do the tempo. Yeah, you couldn't change the tempo. Couldn't change the tempo. You know, that's all I had. So I had to really like try to figure it out and with my finger just try to get the right tempo and so you said you were doing like weddings and high school parties. Which was your first like real DJ residency? Um, my real residency was in a, in a club in my hometown in Breda. I played like in a in a small room, and uh, I played for like 250 people there every Thursday, Friday, Saturday. And it was it was part of a bigger club. And in the main room, they played like mainstream music, like everything from hip hop to to uh, country, anything. And then in the room I played was just dance music. The owner of the, of the club really believed in me. He's like, you know, he heard me play a couple of times. He was like, you can do whatever you want here. This is, this is your house. And uh, yeah, I could play whatever I want, which was great. Tell me about your new hit single, The Business. I see it moving on the internet. It's been moving for a minute, but now it's moving over to radio. Yeah, no, it's been uh, really fun to watch. You know, I made the song last year and then, and then we, we released it in uh, September, I think, in Europe. And now it's like top 10 all over Europe and uh, it's been doing great. And also in Canada and in America, it's about to blow up. So it's uh, it's been really a fun fun thing to watch. I saw you uh, tapped in with my boy uh, Ty Dollar Sign for the remix, and I thought that was a great uh, great decision because he's got some momentum going. He has a new album coming out, and he's just a good guy. Yeah, he's a super good guy, and uh, I mean, I've known him for a couple of years, and 
you know, I always loved his music, like the Ego Dead track and the one with Skrillex he had. So, you know, when he was like, you know, what, I want to remix your song, I was like, yeah, phenomenal. So I, I love what he did. Did you go from uh, DJing to producing or did you produce and DJ at the same time? No, I was definitely first a DJ and then um, I started uh, doing uh, remixes and, and mashups. That was basically how it started with the, uh, I bought this DJ 70 Roland keyboard, which was like a sampler thing together with the keyboard and slowly got into producing. But uh, yeah, I was always DJing for a couple of years before I really become a producer. What was your other setup like in your first studio? I'm sure you had a home studio at first. Yeah, I had the Atari computer, <laughs> you know, <laughs> the Cubase uh, setup. And uh, yeah, I got a couple of, couple of analog things. I had like a drum computer. Uh, I had the 909. Uh, I mean, I'm not sure if people are familiar with that. Oh, stuff. I know what that is. But yeah, yeah, no, you, you know, but I don't think the listeners will really know. Uh, you know, then later on, I got uh, the, the Roland JP8080. I got the virus. Uh, the Moog Voyager. So that's basically, I started collecting more stuff, you know, the, the, every dime I made went back into the studio. So, so that, okay. So every dime made, so what was like your first like big gig where you got your first big paycheck where you were like, Oh man, I'm like, a, I'm a real DJ. <laughs> um, yeah, I think, I think I played like New Year's Eve, um, you know, in Holland somewhere like around 97 and I got like 500 bucks for the show. Oh, wow. And I was that's like, a, that's a big payday for a first gig. Yeah, that was a, that was a big payday for me. And, uh, and after that, I played a, a big festival in Holland that uh, was, I got a really uh, great slot to play. And that was really my breakthrough in Holland, I think. So when did you start moving around and like start moving throughout Europe and even like coming to America and going to, to other countries? Well, I started my own record label first and it's called Black Hole Recordings. And then I released uh, mix compilations on that record label. And then one of those mixed compilations blew up in Norway. And then the, the distributor in Norway invited me to come play in Norway. And I started touring in Norway. So all the cities in Norway had been all the way to the north. And that was really my big breakthrough because I sold a lot of CDs there and all that money I could reinvest again in my studio and uh, in, in, my, in my DJ setups. And um, yeah, and then slowly every other country caught up. Like after that, uh, it was Israel and then England. And then after England, you know, once, you, once you're big in England, you're basically big everywhere in, in, yeah. in Europe. And then uh, I had this DJ, uh, Paul Oakenfold. You know, oh, probably, I remember Paul. Yeah, I know who Paul you know, Probably. And he really introduced me to the American market. He was really supportive of my, my career. And he was like telling all the promoters in America, you got to book this guy from Holland, this guy called Tiesto. So I remember being in school and Paul Oakenfold was doing like a college promotional tour in the beginning of when I first started school. And then I remember you doing another college like promotional tour when I was finishing school. So you can see it took me a while to finish school. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. For me, you're you're an iconic DJ. You're you're the Jay-Z of the dance DJ world. And I know the first time I like I like I got to meet somebody like that. It was for me. I actually I when I got to interview and meet Jay-Z. I was completely starstruck and that interview went awful. It was embarrassing. I, uh, and I was also a little bit nervous, but he was so nice and normal. Like he was so, uh, and I, I found it so interesting that he was so down to earth, you know? And then I met him a couple of more times. I was like, man, he's the biggest rapper in the world and he's so nice, you know? And I really was uh, impressed with that. So another time in, I played in Vegas and uh, Drew Barrymore and uh, Cameron Diaz, they came up to me 
and they had no idea who I was. And it was it's years ago, and dance music was really small. And they were like, "Hey, um, can you play some hip hop and some tracks because you know we don't know this music." And and I was like, "Yeah, sorry, ladies, I just don't have it. I I only have dance music." So. <laughs> So it was kind of embarrassing for them and for me at the same time because I was like, "You guys have no clue who I am." I get it, but but they just thought I was a, just a random house DJ that plays everything like a like Vegas open format DJ. They did, yeah, yeah. So when you first came to America and started DJing in America, obviously dance music was never as big here as it was in Europe. Now, and well, I would say like 2008, 2009 is when it started to really blow up here in the U.S. How did yeah. like how would that was that transition for you? Because like you said, you had you know Drew Barrymore saying, "Hey, can you play some hip hop?" How was that when you first started playing over here a lot more? Yeah, I mean, especially in Vegas, it was like that. I, I think uh, more the more specialized clubs like in uh, 1015 in uh, in San Francisco or like uh, you know the space in Miami. There were, there were definitely more. But it was always small. It was always like, yeah, you could do a club show, but that's it. The dance music was not big at all. You know, I could really walk down the street. Uh, nobody would ever recognize me or anything. And yeah, until I got axed into the club where I used to play. So it was, it was an interesting time, but it was really amazing to see the transformation, you know, when after 2008 and nine, how it changed in America and how big it became. So what year did you start DJing in Vegas? What, what year did you start your residency there? Uh, my residency, I started. Uh, well, I did. I did a lot of one-offs before, before 2009, 2010, and then I think I played at the Wien first and the Hard Rock. I played for for a year, and then uh, Hakkasan opened up in 2013, in April 2013. I so, was there the opening night. Oh, okay, yeah, amazing. And it was just by chance. I was actually DJing a party for Playboy that was outside that night. And a bunch of the girls were, uh, they were like, hey, we're going to go to Hakkasan. And you were DJing. It was opening night. They're like, you should come with us. And I was like, and I was like I'm not going to be able to get in. They were like, oh, no, we'll just walk right in. And that was what I, the, like, the first touch of ever like, feeling like uber famous, where I just walked into a club and nobody asked me, like, hey, who are you? That was just with a bunch of hot girls. And they're like, okay, you're good to go. Don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's amazing. I mean, I would think Vegas is probably your favorite place to DJ. Or what's your favorite place to DJ at? No, absolutely. Vegas is definitely one of my favorite places to DJ at because uh, it's it's amazing. I've, I've played there for years. It's my second home, and every week is different. You know, one weekend is the Super Bowl weekend, and the other weekend is Memorial Day weekend, or July. Then it's Canadian weekend. Then it's Mexican weekend, and then it's European uh, month. So the whole year, it's amazing to see how many people come through Vegas and from all over the world. So it's, it, for me, it's the best place to have a residency. You know, you've DJed literally everywhere in the world. What's your favorite place to eat in? What's your favorite country to eat in? There's a lot of great food all around the world. You know, I love Asian food in general. So okay. I, I Thai, Thai food and Japanese food. But, uh, you know, again, Las Vegas have, has so many amazing chefs and so many amazing restaurants that, you know, you can go anywhere in the world in Vegas. So one of my favorite places where I go a lot is Carbone. Carbone. The, okay. the Italian restaurant in the, in the area. And the, the original one is from New York. When I used to live in New York, I, I spent a lot of time there. And that's that's definitely one of my favorite restaurants. Where do you stay now? Where are you living now? I, I live now in Denver. Oh, you live in Denver? Yeah. I know that. When did you oh. move to Denver? Well, my wife's from Denver. So we decided to, uh, to settle down here. So, uh, yeah, and I, I really love it here. It's just nice. Clean the weather, I mean, I guess the weather's somewhat similar to what you're used to a little bit because, yeah, 
It's a little no, bit actually cold. not. No, no. no. I'm, 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 in Holland, it's, it rains probably like 300 days a year. It's like, it's like England, you know, it rains a lot. It's, cr- it's cloudy a lot, gray. And here it's like, this is the sunniest state in, the, in, in America. So it's more sun here than anywhere else. <laughs> Just a little cold sometimes, but it's, it's really always sunny. It's, it's incredible. Back to the DJ nerd stuff. Yeah. Do you still have your vinyl collection? Do you still have everything or were you one of the guys that let it go? No, 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 no. Actually, uh, it's funny because I actually bought from a lot of other guys their vinyls. They are like, yeah, I want to get rid of my vinyls. I'm like, okay, I'll buy it from you. What's it? I'm, I'm very curious to know what your record collection looks like. How big is it? I got over 40,000 records. Like oh, five. Wow. Yeah. Do so you have like, you have like a special storage for it somewhere? Well, I have my studio still in uh, in uh, Amsterdam, and uh, I have next to the studio a giant room, and all the records are like in alphabetical order, so you can just walk through it, and everything is there. So from like um, you organize those in alphabetical order, or do you have somebody do that for you. <laughs> and, I'm not gonna lie, I had somebody do that for me. No, yes, and I, I have a friend, and um, he loves doing that. He's like he likes he has a little bit of an OCD. Kind of thing like he likes to uh, put everything in the right order, although and so he loves doing that. So he spent like weeks putting it together. I was told that you uh, that you're into shoes too. Um, not really a big shoe collection, but I love nice shoes. So a lot of times, you know, I get these high beast shoes from, uh, from brands, and then I wear them for a month or two, and then I give them away to my friends or or anyone. Because you know, I think. With clothes and fashion, you know, it's so temporary. And uh, after I wear it for a time, I, I want something new. So I just want to give it away and just store, store it somewhere. Like, well, what, what am I going to do with 40,000 40, pairs of shoes? Vinyl is different, but the shoes are like, you I'm, know. It's crazy because yeah. I'm the exact same way. I don't hold on to shoes. If I get like some really cool pair of shoes, I wear them. I wear them for a couple of months. I don't give them away like you, but I just retire them. And yeah, I, but my vinyl, I would never, ever retire it. It's never going anywhere. My wife, I've moved four times in the last five years and my wife has tried to talk me into getting rid of it over and over again, but there's just no way I'm never going to let it go. Yeah, that, that's funny because every time I bought vinyl from another DJ, it was always the wife saying like, maybe you should get rid of them. <laughs> so, <laughs> so if you ever want to do them away, Give me a call. <laughs> uh, it's going to be a lot of hip hop too, though. I was going to ask you, and I'm sure a lot of people have asked you this, but I was actually curious because you're so used to flying around and being in a different country literally every week. What did you? What have you been doing for the past, you know, 10, 11 months? Yeah, it's it's really funny because yeah, when you travel all the time and you're in busy clubs all the time, and it was really nice to not do anything. So just to be at home, enjoy at home, I. I just got a, a beautiful daughter. She's three months old now. First time dad? First time dad, yeah. Oh, wow. Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. So it was really a, an amazing time for me to have time off. It's, it's the best thing ever. So I've been really uh, blessed and uh, lucky that for me personally, I, I can see this, this COVID as my sabbatical. Just taking a year off, living a normal life, you know. I still work a lot in the studio and do a lot of Zoom calls and, and stuff like that. but. To be in one place for for ten months straight was pretty nice, you know. Get your own groceries, go to a nice restaurant, and, and just just be home. It's, it's really really fun. It's kind kind of weird, but to, to live a normal life for a change felt really good. 
I definitely wasn't touring like you, but I've been on tour for the past, you know, seven, eight years. And just having that break and being able to center myself and be able to like, for me, I took the time to concentrate more on like getting back to like practicing scratching and like get trick mixing and just get like, not that I'd ever got away from it, but I wanted to get better at it. So I took that time to like do that again. Do Are you into like the turntablism scratching stuff at all? Or is that something you're into? Well, I, I used to. I mean, I think I lost my touch because I haven't uh, touched a turntable in a long time. So I still got the vinyl, but I still, you know, I always play on the Pioneers or, you know. So, um, but no, I used to be uh, also pretty pretty decent scratcher. And uh, I, I was part of the Disco Mix Club in Europe, you know. And uh, so, yeah, no, I, I, I love that stuff. Who did, uh, who did you work with that, like, taught you how to do the scratching and do, like, mixing and everything in the beginning? Um, I just taught it myself, actually. I mean, I, I watched a lot of DJs play in the club. You know, I was every weekend, I was, you could see me in a club. So I, I watched, I was always around the DJ booth. I was like uh, watching the DJ, every move he did. And, uh, you know, I was always next to the DJ booth, checking him out. Who do you think was the DJ that made you realize, hey, I could do this and become like a superstar? Uh, well, I had a couple of, of, of those, like in Holland. Um, we, we had DJs on the radio playing the music. So if we listened to a guy like Ben Lebrand, he used to make like mixes. And then later on, um, <clears throat> Peter Slughaus was, was a big guy in Holland. And um, I think the biggest inspiration for me to become like a trans DJ back in the days was uh, Sven Vat. He was he's a German DJ and he would play like eight hour straight sets. And I would not recognize a single track he would play. And I, but every track was amazing. And I was like, how is this possible? I work in a record store and this guy plays for eight hours and I don't know any track. And everything he plays is amazing. So that inspired me to, to, uh, to, to look more into him. And then I, I got to learn a lot. And so he inspired me to become like a yeah, more global DJ. Obviously, we've had a lot of time to think about this, but what do you what do you see yourself doing in the next ten years? Are you going to continue to DJ for as long? I, like me personally, I'm going to DJ till I can't DJ anymore. But I would always like to ask other DJs. Do you think like because some yeah. couple DJ friends that have called it quits already? But what do you what do you want to do? How long do you want to DJ for? It's funny that people ask always the same question. Like Tom, you ask Tom Brady, like uh, how long are you going to play for? <laughs> I, I like to do this because I always started for the right reason. You know, I. I grew up in this music i grew up as a dj and i have the passion for it and i think when the passion is gone then it's time to quit and as long as people appreciate my music and come to my shows i don't know how long i'm gonna i might be the new mick jagger and be like 75 years old and still performing live who knows i so, want to be that that's what i want i don't ever want to quit djing the feeling that you get from djing you can't get anywhere else so i know no, it's, like, it's, 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 it's really priceless and uh, you know when I was 30, I was like, oh, by the time I'm 40, I'm sold. Uh, there's no way I still DJ. And then, you know, I'm now over 50 and I still DJ. <laughs> and uh, I, I still love it. And people love it. And I think that's all that matters. It's not, uh, it's, 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 it's not, um, you can DJ until whenever you want, I think, as long as you enjoy it and as long as the people enjoy it. I mean, obviously, you've made a lot of money DJing, but what keeps you really motivated to like be, you know, keep, cause you're always pushing the limits. You're always changing your styles up. You're always coming with something new. You, you, you stay relevant for, you know, 20 plus years now. How, how, what keeps you motivated to do that? Well, it's, it is what you say. Like money doesn't bring you happiness. No. Money is great to have. It gives you comfort. You can buy a nicer sandwich or a nicer dinner or, you know, have a nicer car. 
But all those things are comfortable, but they don't bring you the happiness. Happiness is what, what, what you get out of people. I and mean, when you make somebody happy, when somebody is sick and says like, man, I went through a rough time, I was listening to your music, and you helped me through a rough time in my life. I think those are the things that really make it special. And, and that's, that keeps, keeps me going, like the passion for the music and the passion to see people, make, make people happy, meet new people, get inspired by people. I'm more like a social kind of DJ. <laughs> well, I just want to say thank you for spending some time with me. And I want to tell everybody to go stream the business. I'm going to be playing it on the radio. So of course, you could hear it with me. But uh, thank you, man. And thank you for taking the time. Hopefully next time we can see you face to face. See the full conversation at Spout Podcast on YouTube. Follow us at Spout underscore podcast on IG, Twitter, and TikTok. Plus now, Spout Podcast on Clubhouse. Next week, Kid Leroy spouts off. There's someone upstairs that controls what happens. If, if it's meant for you, then it's meant for you. And if it's not, then, you know, you'll eventually find what is meant for you. Be sure to listen to the next Spout Podcast on Apple Podcast, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. The Spout Podcast is presented by Alpha Media, produced by Gorilla Sound, hosted on Sounder FM, and created by Phil Becker. Spout.